I want to begin a series today called Building a Spiritual House. And what we mean by that is we are talking about when we come together, but also we are talking about us as people, as a community of faith. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, you'll hear this verse quite a lot over the next few months, but, or next few weeks. First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, read like this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. What a great situation to be in. Sometimes people can reject, but chosen by God. And precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I, I just want to pause here. That the, In the Greek, in the original language, the word spiritual house means temple. It's not just a house where people live. It, it's a dwelling place where God lives or a temple of the Spirit. You are being built as a community, as a place where God lives. And, it, and it, you take him everywhere you go, or wherever you go, there he is. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we are at this moment. As a church, here we are at the beginning of 2022, and I want to just freeze time just for a moment, and maybe not think about perhaps the immediate weeks leading up to this time. I know that if you're watching the news right now, there's lots of news reviews of what's happened this year, and people who've passed on, this, that, and the other. I know there is that some of you are looking for a, perhaps a prophetic word or, or something to spur us into the new year. I get all of that, but just freeze for a moment and let me draw an actual wider picture of just the lead up to 2022 for your life. God has been working on you more than you think to get you here. He's been positioning you and moving you and doing much more than you think to get you to this moment right now. Let me do some ancestral mathematics with you. Every one of you, to get here right now, needed two parents. You needed four grandparents. You needed eight great-grandparents. Whether you know them or not, you needed eight great-grandparents. You needed 16 great-great-grandparents. You needed 32 great-great-great-grandparents. You need uh, 64 great-great-great-great-grandparents. You needed 128 great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Five. Anybody with me? You needed 256 great-great-great-great-great-great, whether they were great or not, great-grandparents. You needed 512 great, 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 great grandparents. You needed 1,024 great, 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 great grandparents. You needed 2,048 great, great, somebody do it with me, great, 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 
great, great, great, great, great grandparents, up to nine gen- generations. Actually, for you to be born today for 12 generations in your history, you needed a total of 4,094 ancestors over the last 400 years. You are significant. It took 4,000 people to get you here over 400 years. Can you imagine that? You know, that actually God, the Bible says, it makes it really clear that God formed you in the womb and knit you together and put your DNA just so that he could make you. Your, yeah, I mean, we talk about snowflakes today, but I want to do it in a different way. You're like God's intricate design. Can you imagine like six generations ago that somebody tried to marry your great, 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 great grandmother who God didn't think, oh man, you don't want their DNA. And so they moved them out of the way to bring the right person in. You weren't even born or even thought of. And God was saying, oh no, I want Scott just the way Scott is. We can't make any other DNA. I want Kathy just the way Kathy. Oh no, you're not coming a part of that family. I'm moving this person in. It took a lot to get you you here? Some of you think you just came on the tube or on the bus. (laughs) Think for a moment how many struggles, how many battles, how many stories, how many difficulties, how much sadness, how much happiness, how much difficulty. Some of you think that, man, my life, you know, I've, I've, I've messed my life up. Hey, over the last 400 years, God has been working on you. Let's not just live in this moment. Let's remember how much God has been doing to get you here. All of this didn't happen, though, for you to waste your life. And on the first day of 2022, I want to say to you, it took a lot of planning to get you here. So don't let the devil, anybody, anything, steal your life in this moment. In fact... Don't blow it. Don't be the sort of person that says, oh, what's the use? God has been working so much to get you in that seat. So you need to be kind to your neighbor. You need to invest in your family. You need to think, I need to leave a legacy. My life counts for something. We need to be kind. We need to have fun. But actually, You know this verse, John chapter 10, verse 10, simply says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. Don't let anyone steal your life. Your life is precious to him. And thinking, if I can just freeze time for a moment, instead of talking about you, what about us as church? We need to re-dig, and that's really what the 40-day journey is about. Redig back into our identity as the people of God on earth. We'll look at four kind of main facets of that that we are living stones, that actually a stone is durable, we can last, we will be around. Omicron will not defeat us. We are living stones, we bring life, we are life. I want, to, I want to take the next few weeks to remind you of your church identity. We're a spiritual house, a place of renewal and encounter. We are Kensington Temple. And the word used in the New Testament, when he talks in the New Testament about that you're a temple, more accurately, it uses the word that is more 
it more fits with the Holy of Holies rather than just the general temple area. It fits where the divine actually dwells. That's you. God's in this house. God's with you in your heart. And when we talk about that, we, we have to know that it's not just a building, although we're going to make this building sing for Jesus. I, I just believe churches should be palaces for the king. I don't mean wasting in opulent, you know, we're not going to have gold fittings for you, okay. But I do think that it should be a palace for the king. We need, though, to be people who renew and are renewed in prayer if we're going to be built. And right from the start of this uh, year, let's be a house of prayer. If we're going to be a spiritual house, let's be personal prayers. That actually our homes are filled with prayer. Our lives are filled with prayer. The Bible says we are priests. That we have specific, a consecrated role in this world. And we'll break that open over the next few um, weeks, that how, how we carry people to God, but we also mediate God to people, as our priestly role says. We offer spiritual sacrifices. It means that we live a different type of life, that actually that we don't break our lives open for what everybody else is chasing, but actually we too look at life and we come at life a different way. You know, at this time of the year, Kathy was re remarking to me earlier uh, about how other traditions, they, they start the Christmas season on Christmas Day. I don't know about you, but uh, Kathy is the sort of person where the decorations are down on Boxing Day. <laughs> you know, we're just like, we love it. We love the build-up. On Boxing Day, we're thinking, oh man, this is all, I don't know, you might be different than us. But... Other traditions, they tend to start their celebrations for Christmas on Christmas Day, and they lead on into, and you know, to quote the hymn, the bleak midwinter, there is life and there is light. And actually, church, I actually want to say to you, why don't we be those people that say, things may be dark, but we are going to be carriers of hope and carriers of light in this next season, when people in January have got the mully grubs, I, I don't know how you'd interpret that word, by the way, uh, but people are really feeling down and they, they, they're just feeling like, oh, the whole year is stretching before them and the nights are drawing in. You, actually, we've gone through the shortest uh, uh, day, so we're actually coming more into the light. But why don't we walk out hope in this bleak midwinter? Why don't we say to ourselves today, you know what? I'm going to be the church. I'm going to be that person who Jesus needs wherever I am. So I want to talk to you just, I just want to give you four quick ideas, but deep ideas about building for this season. And then we're going to pray. It's never been more important, I believe, for the church to be the church than in this season. Look, people are pandemic weary. Uh, I'm pandemic weary. How about you? I wish, you know, we were having such a great time, and then it just seems like we've been hit again. But now is the time that we need to be the people of God present in our jobs. And so number one, the first idea I want to say to you is this. How we build a spiritual house in this season is, first of all, 
Take your place. Stop hiding. Stop kind of saying to yourself, oh, I'm just muddling through. Don't live less now, but be present wherever you are as a person of God. Be engaged in what you're doing. Be committed and sense what God is doing in your home, in your workplace, in your family, wherever you are. Stop multitasking and start focusing on the task at hand. Now, we love it that we've got lots of things in our lives, but actually funnel down, take your place as being somebody who carries the light of God. Jesus said it this way. You are the light of the world, and a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way as somebody says, I want to light up this place, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're going to bring an evangelistic idea to you this year that involves you doing good deeds as well. But first of all, just take your place and say, I'm here, God use me. Wherever I am, take your place, church. It's important for you. Take your place at at your workplace and make a contribution. You won't know his presence unless you become present where you are. I say, well, God, you've put me here. Now, I want to just say to you, I I love the fact that, that Zoom was invented, don't you? I mean, we can connect with people on Zoom. You know what I hate about Zoom? When you go on a Zoom meeting and turn your camera off, and all I can see is your name. You know, listen, if you're wearing your curlers at a Zoom meeting, I'm talking to the men now, obviously, we don't mind. I'd rather see your face than with your curlers on than just your name on a blank screen, wouldn't you? Now, I can hear right now there's lots of disapproval in the house. The only time for you to turn your camera off is if you show up to that Zoom meeting naked. We don't want you to come even come to the Zoom meeting. But turn your camera on. If you're in a cell meeting and a Zoom cell meeting, turn your camera on. Let's see your face. Let's be present. Take your place. Now, some of you won't amen me because you just love doing Zoom meetings where you can be doing your ironing and listening to the cell leader and you're tidying up. You're doing two or three things at once and you're kind of listening in, but you're not really present. You're kind of doing the God thing, but you're not really doing the God thing. I want to say to you, take your place in your cell meeting. Take your place. Be there. Be a cell member that's a good cell member. Don't be half in, half out. Thank you so much for you folks who are joining us online. But I know that you're in your pajamas right now. And that's okay. So long as you completely are engaged with what you're doing. We will never build for this season if you go to work and you're not really there. 
if you're in university and actually your mind is elsewhere. Be where you're supposed to be and take God with you. Take your place. Turn to somebody and say, take your place. Take your place. We have to be engaged and focused. Oh, I just want to go into every Zoom meeting and just see what happens. Second idea is not only take your place, but secondly, play your part. If we're going to build this house, we need to contribute to this house. Don't just come and ride along. Come and be the engine with us. Come and be part of the engine that drives us on. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of believers. This is a household. It's not a hotel. In a hotel, somebody makes your bed. In a house, you make your own bed. In a hotel, somebody clears up after you. In a house, you clear up. The first practical way that you can actually contribute and, and play your part is actually do the 40-day journey with us. Don't be that Christian that says, hey, they're all doing that, but I'm so special, I'm doing this. If you've already got your Bible's reading sorted, do both. Come and join with us. Do the 40-day journey. Give yourself to it. And it will mean that we can all be doing something together. That's not uniformity or conformity. That is unity. And you will get to the part where you get to, and God will speak to you, how you will uh, be spoken to. Download the cell group material. Cell leaders. We're going to put emails out there so you can download all the cell group material so that we are moving together at the first of the year. So take your place, and secondly, play your part, or play our part together. Thirdly, know your position. I want to talk to you today about your place, your part, and your position. There are many, many things to say about our position in Christ, but it's one of the deepest doctrines that we can ever live out in our lives. There are many things to say about it, but the first thing to say is our chosenness is very important as we go into this new year. We've heard it said so often that even now you'll be going, oh yeah, I've heard that, God's chosen me. But I want to talk to you about four aspects of your chosenness, just really briefly, that you may not have, have kind of considered. First of all, you are chosen by grace. You, you, you're chosen, there's something about your chosenness that's nothing to do with you. That's kind of from his grace, it's not kind of, it is from his grace. It's not to do with you, but it's from a loving, choosing God. He chose me. It's an amazing thing. When everybody else rejects you at work, school, college, even your closest relatives, the choosing of God is an amazing thing that he looks on us and chooses us. Amen. He chooses you and he gives you the ability and the power to do what he's chosen you for. Ephesians 4, 1 verse 4 says, For he chose us before the creation of the world. And you might have thought, where's he getting this ancestral mathematics from? Right here. He chose you before the creation of the world. That's before your great, 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 and not so great ancestors. 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. Number one, you're chosen by his grace. That underpins everything. But can I say to you, number two, that you are chosen by character. Not by how well you're doing. Well, let me say it this way. The implications of your character attract more of the implications of God's chosenness to you. Your character is is the thing that God is interested in the most. Much more than your gifts, actually. It, It reflects him. Your character either reflects him and it also attracts him and his activity in your life. If he can mold you, then he can get you to do anything that he wants you to do. But if you're unmoldable, if you're hard and and breakable, in in the wrong sense of breakable, brittle, then, then your chosenness, you are still chosen, but the implications and the power of that chosen chosenness is weakened. It's it's watered down. Plenty are chosen, but they don't do much with it. Look at Israel in the Old Testament. They they blew it so many times, and they were God's people, are God's people. Timothy said this. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let God work on your character. It will attract more of the implications of you being chosen to your life. You are chosen by purpose. Now, um, Kathy and I always have this debate about, uh, you see, I'm a, I'm a, a kind of a guy who's caught up with my purpose sometimes. And so Kathy says, you know what, Mark? Not everybody is, they, they're not as motivated by purpose as you. Some people just want to live their lives and, and get through. And, you know, you know not everybody knows that, that purpose is so focused and so on. So, some people are a little ordinary, and ordinary is good. But here's what I think. Actually, instead of thinking all the time, God, what's the purpose in my life? That we actually say this, God, what are your great purposes? I just want to join in with them. And in finding those purposes, your personal purpose will come out. In the, in the, in the Hobbit uh, stories, Sam says to Frodo, or Frodo says to Sam, what story have we fallen into? I want to say to you, you have fallen into the kingdom of God. And God has some great purposes for London. He's got some great purposes for your work. Join in with what God's doing and your purpose will come out. You're chosen by purpose. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says he's molding you, creating you, giving you works in advance. And lastly, can I say about your chosenness that we are chosen through diligence, actually. You're chosen by grace and that underpins everything. You're chosen or, or your chosenness is more attracted to God by your character. You're chosen as you step into his purposes, but you are chosen by diligence. In God's economy, every responsibility is, is kind of coupled with the expectation for us to be diligent to our commitments. And so this year, 
I wonder if you could be diligent about your church and about your ministry instead of saying, oh, I've had enough, that you could actually step forward and say, no, I'm going to be diligent. Now listen really carefully to me, just for a moment. We are underpinned by grace and we receive strength from that grace. But it's because of that grace we need to make sure that we are covering all the bases in our commitments. I want to be a diligent, better husband this year. Let me hear all the women say amen. amen. You know, I want to be that man that God called me to in Kathy's house. I want to be diligent about it. I want to be... Uh, touch all the bases and strengthen all my commitments because this strengthens our positioning in God and our chosenness to the full. Let me read you something from Hebrews that, that kind of is the foundation to what I'm saying. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. There is nothing you do for God that he doesn't notice. He's not unjust like that. Verse 11 says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has promised. We need to be a spiritual house, a house of miracles, a house of faith, but a house that is patient and diligent with the things that we're working through. You strengthen your chosenness through diligence. We're chosen by grace. We are chosen by our character, or at least it's strengthened by our character. We are chosen when we join in with what God is doing. We're chosen by being diligent. So today, I just want to mention to you, take your place. I want to mention to you, play your part. To you as a person, before you leave here today, dig in and say, you know what God, I want to know my position. I'm chosen by you. And lastly today, I want to say to us as a church, let's keep our pattern. We play our part, but let's keep our pattern. We'll know our place, but let's keep our pattern. Let's know our position, but let's know our pattern. You know, God has a pattern for discipleship. He doesn't want us to be patchy or patchwork but he wants to, us to undergo a pattern. You know, God moves in patterns. It, almost he moves in systems. He was very clear to Moses. He said to Moses, he said, build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I have shown you. 2 Timothy 1 verse 13 says this, you have heard me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Romans 6 verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. Doesn't Romans also say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, it's really important today that you 
begin a pattern in your life of receiving teaching, and that actually that we have a pattern of teaching here. So I want to really encourage you to make a new commitment to going to your cell group or your small group. I also want to encourage you to say to yourself, I'm not just going to hop around the Bible. I am systematically going to follow something. And that's one of the reasons for doing the 40 days, to get us going into a pattern. God works in patterns. In fact, the word for pattern in the Greek here is a, a word called tupos. And it, it kind of can be used for a statue or it can be used for a sketch or an outline. But it's actually a definite thing that you follow. I wonder if you're the sort of person that always likes an individualized interpretation and you're always trying to mold it to you instead of you to it. Let's keep our pattern. Let's be a words church. In fact, I want to encourage you to make a fresh commitment to your cell group, but also what I want to say to you We need our word and our spirit like two wings, don't we? So I really want to encourage you to be part of the Wednesday night prayer meetings, either online or here in the campus, that we we build our faith. We'll do some teaching there, but mainly that prayer meeting is to build our faith and to make breakthroughs in people's lives and to change the atmosphere around this church. But also, I want to say to you that in the new year, from February, we're going to start an all-comers Bible study so that you can come and receive some perhaps different and deeper teaching. But I want to say to every cell group leader here, you need to either become a teacher or make sure you release the teacher in your cell group and that our cell groups go deeper in their teaching so that we can be word and spirit. Can I hear an amen, church? You know, once uh, I, I was once planting a church, and uh, in that I had to have a, a, a job as well as planting the church, and I applied to a job in, a, in, in the Michelin, actually. They make tires and so on, you know, and uh, I, I went there for this interview, and they give you a competency test first, and, and one of the tests was, is that you had, have you ever seen those games where you've got the, uh, the wire that's all bendy, and you've got a, a, a kind of thing with a circle, and you have to go around the wire and with, without, without touching the, the other bendy wire. You have to go around it so that you don't make it buzz. Have you, have you, you know what I'm on about? Well, this was me. I, I started off, and I went, eh. I went, oh, sorry, sorry. There was a room. Everybody was doing this. There's about 20 of us, you know, and so you could, I, was, I went, eh. I went up, eh. I could not follow the pattern. I'd not got the ambidextrous. I was not that sort of person. I don't know whether my eyesight, my depth. And in the end, I went, ah, ah, and then I just went, ah, finished. <laughs> there are too many of us like that. We, we found it hard. Some things haven't worked. And so we've, we've ditched the pattern. I want to say to you, we need to become and reestablish ourselves as individuals in the Word and in the Spirit as a church. And I want to emphasize to you, come to the prayer meeting. Get in a cell group. Come to the Bible study. 
Be that person who is filled this year. Do your own personal devotions. So we are keepers of hope for this generation. Remember, you have a place. Step forward and take that place in whatever arena that you're in. Remember, you play a part. This doesn't happen without you. Remember that you have a position in Christ. Now let's remember to keep the pattern of sound teaching. God often uses 40 days, you know. Please stand with me for a few moments. Noah was in a flood and it rained for 40 days. Moses went up a mountain for 40 days. The spies spied out the land for 40 days. Goliath made his challenge for 40 days. Elijah went on his journey to encounter to Horeb and it took 40 days. Jonah warned the Ninevites for 40 days and Jesus fasted for 40 days. There's something about 40 days in the scripture that says, that God says, I will use this season to make a real change in your life. In these 40 days, you can make a change. It will take 40 days only. We'll get to the middle of February and things in your life will be completely changed, fundamentally changed. Something will move and change and you'll be deeper about something. 40 days. Come on a 40-day journey with us. Decide to do it. That thing that you need to let go, that, that secret habit is now up for grabs to God's spirit, that you can say, I'm ditching it, I'm leaving it, I'm breaking it, I'm letting it go. That you can say, you know what, I have always come to this ceiling, but now I'm going to break through that ceiling in the next 40 days. Make a fasting commitment with us. You can do it through the exchange on the website, or you can put your name on the uh, chart outside in the foyer. We were so pleased that we had one name after Boxing Day. Good old Pauline. Make a fasting commitment. Join me. I'm going to fast for these 40 days. I'm only going to have one meal a day or not some meals most days. Come on, join with me. Come and fast with me. Come and have at least one day. If you're pregnant, don't, don't do that. But engage from this season. I, I've given up all, I've deleted all my social media apps. So you're not going to find me on social media. Apart from on Kensington Temples, I guess. But I, I've just decided I'm doing something to focus on you for this 40 days. Come and do a 40-day journey with me. Come on, turn to somebody and say, do the 40-day journey. Come on, command them. Come on, do it with us. In 40 days, you can make a real change. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell them that. In 40 days, you can make a change. And again, turn to somebody else and say, you can be deeper through this season. You can be deeper. You see, you may not have any big problems, but you may just want to go deeper. You've done so well. You have done so well through transitions and been faithful through this pandemic. You've done so well. Come on, let's build on this faithfulness now. Let's build this spiritual house. Come on, let's build it now. You can do this. 